Hello, I'm Michael, and I'll be doing the Bible reading. Uh, The reading is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 to 25, and it'll be on the screen behind me. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowing, the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of the Havilah, where, the gold, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic, resin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Ephrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's been a challenging week for me as I think about preaching this sermon uh, because the idea that God cares about places is counterintuitive for me Uh, because I've often thought that God cares for people. We know that, right? That's pretty straightforward. Uh, People matters to God, which is the truth. Uh, But 
you know, this is one study that I find myself learning and growing and uh, being stretched in different areas, new ways of thinking about things. Uh, I now realize that people and places are connected, uh, which again is really bad news for me because of my past experience. Uh, you know, because for the last 30 years, uh, I've moved so many times, you know, across different continents, uh, that I, I find the idea that, you know, to be attached to a place is very foreign uh, to me. Uh, I try to focus again on the people, uh, having moved so many times. Uh, but it, it's something that I, I'm learning, right? So it's... Uh, it's a journey, and as I think back on my own experience, I realize that moving so many times, in fact, has uh, impacted my relationship with people too. I've lost touch with some of them. Uh, and so there's a connection between people and places. Uh, and, and as we deal with the changes in the place itself, the physicality of place, uh, we grieve because of the things we've lost. And I suspect that I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, in this sense. My guess is that everyone today kind of in our area uh, is challenged by the rapid changes that is happening around us. Uh, be that as it may, I believe that God, God is still at work. Right? God wants us to think about what he's doing through all the changes. God cares about what's happening to us here in Epping because in the end it's true. People are important for God. But because just precisely because people are important, places are important too. Right? Uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 2, uh, because when God created Adam and Eve, he, he didn't just kind of dump in a place. He thought about a place where Adam and Eve would thrive and be fulfilled. Uh, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Uh, this sermon I'd like us to, first of all, think about the fact that our God is the gardener. Uh, a gardener. This idea that God gardens itself, you know, is fascinating to think about it. He is the source uh, of life, uh, design. He purpose-built garden just for Adam. Secondly, I'd like us to reflect that God is, isn't just an ordinary gardener. He's not just a gardener. He is the best gardener. He provided mankind with the most beautiful place to live. Uh, but we need to remember that God still owns that garden. Uh, that's why in the middle of a garden there is a restriction uh, just to remind us that he's still the boss. And then finally, as we think about God, the gardener, and the, what he's provided for us, his purpose for the world, then we need to reflect on what's going on in our world, a world that has been marked by sin, uh, as the interview has said, Megan has brought it out so well. How do we redeem these places? Uh, some of these places that are dehumanizing. I've been doing a, some of the extra reading in the study. I found it fascinating. It's a different way of thinking about things, but it's enlightening. Um, we are moving at a pace where our places have lost its um, nurturing aspect. It becomes dehumanizing. It's about using people. Uh, it's very functional. Uh, so all of that is kind of what I want to bring tonight, uh, and I think I really need God's help. So let me pray for us. 
Our Heavenly Father, your word is living and active. And even as we come to a foreign concept uh, that I've never encountered before, I, I just thank you that even in this uh, moment you are speaking uh, to me and through me. Help us to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so the idea that God is a gardener is not just in Genesis. Um, we see that, uh, and of course not just in the New Testament, we see that in Jesus, Jesus says, my father is the gardener, right? And I'm the vine. If you're attached to me, my father cleans and prunes this vine. Um, but uh, so we know clearly there are places where we know, yeah, God's the gardener. But the idea, the motif that God plants uh, and God placed things like in a garden runs throughout the entire Old Testament. But we're going to begin, of course, here uh, in the Garden of Eden. Literally, what this verse says is Elohim, right, the, the word for God in the Old Testament. Uh, Elohim planted, he dug, you know, deep, he set it up. Um, he planted a garden and then he put man, or another word to translate that is he established man. You know, he didn't just plonk him there. He made sure that he had everything that he needed to thrive in that environment. Right? Everything about verse 7 suggests here that there is intentionality. God is purpose building this place for Adam. God didn't just create man and then think about what to do with him. Oh, I've made man. What do I do? No, God had planted, right, past 10. God had planted a garden in the east. He called it Eden. And there he established a man that he so intimately created as well. Uh, in other words, uh, another way of saying this thing is place exists before relationship. It's so funny. I often thought it's the other way around. But yet in Genesis 2, God thought about that place. He planted that garden. He designed it. And then he went on and created the mankind that he, you know, created mankind. And so in Genesis 1, we saw mankind, male and female, were created on the sixth day, right? Not day one, day six. At the height of creation when everything was kind of, you know, light and darkness, water and sky, animals, right? everything was purpose built, and then God created men and women, created both in God's image. Uh, so here we, uh, in, in chapter 2, we see the same account of creation, but now from a different vantage point. Uh, God is no longer the cosmic ruler who created by his word very powerfully. God spoke and things happened. In chapter 2, we see a different picture of God. God got dirty. God got muddy. Right? God got in there and crafted man. Right? Uh, and then he breathed into mankind and man became a living being. Again, you see a different picture uh, of God. Now, that, all of that is not saying that God has a physical body and he has ten fingers. Right? That's not what it's saying. Or I think what God is spirit. What, what that passage is trying to emphasize is that instead of thinking of a God that is distant, we have a God who is intimately connected with mankind in the creation of mankind. The word man just means, Adam just means earth. Right? That intimate connection with the ground. And the point is, God got muddy, God planted this garden, he dug and he created this space. The reason was so that he could have a place where he can spend time with Adam and Eve. Place exists 
for the purpose of relationship. That's another way of saying it. Everything about Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, screams intentionality and purpose. And it says mankind is special and God designed a space where he could be with Adam and Eve. They could, you know, it's a, a place for them to work, place for them to live, to enjoy, enjoy the beauty of it, and especially together with Eve. Eve is created as Adam's helpmate, equal but different. Uh, if you do a word study on the, the word there, uh, planted and the word put, you discover that overwhelmingly, right, the verb is associated with God as the subject. Predominantly, God is the one in the Old Testament who plants and put an established thing. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, uh, the place, Lord, and you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands has established. God has planted and has put people in that space. Numbers 24, verse 6. Uh, like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river. Like aloes planted by the Lord. Planted like cedars beside the water. The Lord plants. So, you know, people describe how, what God is doing among his people as God planting creating this safe space, this place of growth. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, as God promised his kingdom to David, this eternal kingdom, uh, then he says, look, the reason why we're going to have this kingdom is so that I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. My point is this. Our God is a gardener. Our God wants to plant us in the place where we can grow and thrive. A place where we can be together with him because he is the source of our life and nourishment. You see a picture of God here like a parent, right? Which parent kind of and you know, potentially expecting a baby and go, yeah, don't worry. When the baby comes, we'll work out where the baby will sleep. We'll work out where the baby, where we'll change the baby. It doesn't happen like that, you know, most of the time. Maybe, I'm not sure, but my experience has been when, you know, parents prepare for, you know, in anticipation of the new arrival, there's a lot of excitement. You clear out a room. You create a room. You might even buy a new house. And then you paint it up. And then you work out where the baby is going to sleep. And then you put things in there that's going to stimulate the baby to grow and learn. You get excited by that. In the same way God's like that when it comes to mankind. God created a place where Adam and Eve, his creation, can enjoy and grow and learn and be stimulated. You know, there's, there's, there's all these things in, in, in creation itself, even work itself is meant to be stimulating. Uh, this is, of course, before the sin. And so what does this mean for us? Uh, I think, you know, the connection between relationship and place is something that comes out to me. Uh, and maybe in the Genesis account was that we've got to be intentional about it. Place exists before relationship. The physicality of our meeting becomes important. 
And so, sure, I think the pandemic has meant that we now have online people. That's great. I don't hear me saying as, you know, don't, this is not good. But I think that, you know, we, we, we start to think about, well, how do we do this? Because physical place to meet and fellowship is important. There's something there that cannot be replaced. And so I enjoy the online meeting. I think it does open doors. Uh, but it can't just be everything. Uh, this week you have received the link to the survey. So as a church, that's what we're trying to, we're trying to work that out. Uh, how, how do we do this as we go, you know, as we move forward? When, when are we going to have a meal together? A meal is important, as I'll explain later. How do we do our prayer meeting? How do we do our Bible study? Uh, and so if, if you haven't done the survey, can I encourage you to do that? It will, it will just be so helpful. Uh, so we see God as the, uh, a gardener, but he's not just any gardener. He's the best gardener. Right, when we look at the garden that God designed for Adam and Eve, his character comes through. He is a generous and gracious God. He gives everything to Adam and Eve so that they would thrive. You know, sometimes when we read uh, verse 9 of uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, we, we start to think, oh, hang on, everything is great, but there's only that one thing, right? That, that tree, that forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil. If only God had not put that tree there, it would be fine. Actually, God is your fault, isn't it? But when we look at the context, right, this is not God setting up Adam and Eve to fail. Uh, it's not as if there were only two trees. So you, got, you, got, you could pick the tree uh, or you could pick the forbidden tree. It's not like that. God created a, an entire plantation, trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. Pretty sure Duran will be there. That's just from where I'm coming from. God's not this stingy God. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not sitting there waiting for Adam and Eve to trip. Aha! Dad, I knew you were going to take that tree. Well, what was the tree doing there? See, at the end of the day, the tree was just a reminder that that garden doesn't belong to Adam and Eve. They're not the boss yet. God is still the owner of the garden. At best, we are tenants. In view of God's generosity, sometimes when you put that into context, then it is not an unfair request by God to say, you know, you, of all the tree that you can eat, yeah, you may freely eat from any of them, including the tree of life. Did you pick that? At that point in time, they could eat any other tree, including eternal life. God is just such a generous God. Uh, Reformed worship views worship in, 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 with a certain categories. For example, we gather to hear God's word. Uh, God has given his word now to Adam and Eve. Uh, you shall eat from anything. God's generous. There's freedom, but of, co of course there is a restriction. Uh, Reformed worship views humanity as responding to God in obedience. And then we have a meal, right? So presumably Eden is that template for us. Uh, when we think about what's happening here at the early ages, uh, at early stages in this relationship, 
right? The, the garden, Eden is a garden temple where God and man fellowship. God gave us his word as well as all the nice provision. And if man respond in obedience, presumably what's going to happen is Adam and Eve are, are going to enjoy that feast with God, that feast of eternal life. The same way today we have that same shape, that same pattern. We gather to hear God's word. We want to respond to him in obedience and faith. And then we will have a meal. The meal is you know, part of what it means for us to have fellowship with God and with one another. And so you can think of that as the Lord's Supper, which is a meal. But more than that, Christians understood that every time we gather, there is always often a fellowship over food. It's called table fellowship. God is not a cosmic killjoy. There is a limit put there because he still owns the garden. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are given a lot and trusted with the Lord. In this account itself, you see Adam enjoying a lot of privileges. The recognition of being God's representative, uh, naming the animals, cultivating God's land, all of that is good. But we don't own that land. Everything, every space belongs to God. Uh, so how, uh, in our life, we might be tempted whenever bad things happen to us, right? Whenever we kind of have, you know, encounter difficulties, it's easy to think that God's, God's been, you know, uh, Satan's temptation for us is to, to remind us that God's, God's not kind, especially when life is bad. And now we need to think about the fact that, you know, know, that Eden is what shalom looks like. God's people under God's uh, rule in God's place. And if we trust in God, God will provide for us. Uh, of course, we know now the world is not exactly as the way God intended it to be. Uh, as a result of the curse Adam and Eve's sin. Humanity is no longer in the garden. They've been cast out. This is the first exile. We start to see the problem of dehumanization in, in the spaces that we live in. Uh, three, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, just kind of think, think about the, the curse. Adam, to Adam, God said, because you obeyed your wife, literally because you listened to the voice of your wife instead of my voice, and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Curse is the ground thanks to you. Uh, in painful toil you will eat uh, of it all the days of your life. Symbolic of the curse in the land is also the curse in relationship. Relationships are broken, breaking down as a result of that. A husband and wives. Uh, creation itself and mankind has got this tension going on. Our places are now cursed uh, by the effects of sin. I've been reading, like I said, you know, all this extra reading about placemaking. It's a very new concept for me. Maybe Brandon, you know, will know more about it. But the idea that when you have a community space, then maybe we can, there is a lot we can do to make that space uh, nurturing, it fit for human thriving, instead of being dehumanizing, instead of isolating people in different you know, silos, we can bring the community to, together and create life. Ultimately, it is about you know, safe spaces. 
These are spaces that God owns. They may not, you know, be spaces that are existing in a way that God designs it to be, and therefore what we need to do is to redeem these spaces in Jesus' name. Of course, that means we preach and teach the gospel, but it also means we get dirty and muddy, get involved uh, into those spaces as well. I want to finish with uh, just three reflections. Again, these are, I, I want to kind of caveat that these are new areas for me. I'm still learning. Lots of things going through at the moment. And again, I welcome conversation because, you know, if you can think of something that I haven't, I'd love to hear it. Uh, three areas that I think we Christians need to come in and redeem that place and make it a safe place. The first place is the home. All right? The home is a place that needs to be safe. Um, or, or even the workplace. Right? And the news at the moment, that there is the current issue at the moment that we're all discussing about is sexual assault and violence. Uh, and it... Often in the past, that's true. When when people come forward, you know, the church may not, we're not always the f- the first. Uh, uh, w- w- Let me start again. Uh, people will find that it's it's hard to be believed. Victims feel like when they come forward, now nobody believes. Nobody will believe what I what I went through, uh, and we need to learn from that. Uh, I want to say that if if you know, we want to listen to you, I am believe you. It's hard. Um, the other thing that is interesting, uh, again, very challenging for churches especially, is that evangelical men uh, have a tendency to misunderstand headship as coercive control. And that's very sad. Right? Coercive control is when you, when you control um, your spouse's uh, movement, social circle, money, credit card, um, who, they can, who, who your spouse is allowed to speak to, go out with, uh, and sometimes even using the Bible to justify that. That's sad. We need to redeem that space. I think we can do better. Uh, and again, uh, the, the first place for me to start and for you to start is I just want to listen. Uh, and if we need to repent, say sorry, make changes, teach clearer, we'll do that. I think we need to address the porn culture, especially among young people. Right? Again, listening to what's been going on in, in, in the rhetorics of um, the current debate or the current discussion about rape and assault is that it starts with the young people, right? Uh, men and women watching porn distort their view of what is acceptable and what is not. Um, the underlining current of uh, that, you know, somehow is the women's fault, right? They are either out late or they are drunk or, you know, they, they dress in such a way as to provoke the attack. My personal view is there's a lot of things that we, we have no control over. I'm just talking to the man right now. Right? That, that, this is life. You cannot control what other people will wear, look, or do. You can control uh, what you choose to do. So take responsibility for that. It's what the Bible calls self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? But I think porn aggravates that. Uh, we, we need to have serious discussion about what is porn doing to our young people? Right? 
I'm here to listen. Uh, so the first one, of course, is you know, the issue of sexual assault and violence, just kind of thinking about it at the moment. Um, the second kind of thing that I've been thinking about is people in our community struggling with mental health. Right? Um, again, come and teach us how as a church we can relate to you and help you. Churches can be overwhelming. It's true. Um, but at the same time, all right, churches are also the place of hope where you can find, you should be able to find people who love you and accept you. Um, mental illness is an illness. Right? I, I, I did some work uh, in the mental health scene many years ago, and I used to explain to people that the kidney can fail, so can the brain. It's just like another organ. We need treatment. Uh, but the environment that we can create can be helpful so people feel less isolated and less stigmatized. That's a space that we, that's a place that we can create uh, and so that we can make a difference in our community. Uh, finally, you know, and, and again here, it's a big, big uh, areas that we're only just scratching the surface, people who are same-sex attracted. Um, it, it is in our community. Uh, it's in our churches. And come and talk to us about how the church can be a place where you can have a conversation, feel safe. A lot of issues in here as well. I, I, I'm, again, I've just got three issues, but you can think a lot more. You've suicide, self-harm, loneliness, drugs. If we create a space where not only do we proclaim the gospel, but we create a space where the gospel is also lifted out. Where people feel like they can come and discover for themselves who this God is. God is not a cosmic killjoy waiting for you to sin and punishing you for that. God has everything in his power. Everything that we need to live this life. He is that source. He is that gardener. I'm going to pray. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, and knock at the door is going to be open to you. Our God is an invitational God. God wants you to come to him. Nothing, nothing you can say to this God is going to shock him because he already knows everything about us. Our friends, I want to invite you tonight to come to this God and just be honest with him. And I want to apologize if the church has in the past put up barriers or maybe even unconsciously to say, you know, you're not welcome. Or you, if you're only welcome if you become like us or talk like us or behave like us. Uh, God does not have that um, imposed on us. And so we pray that tonight will be a night where, again, as a church, we want to learn. Uh, we want to take, uh, take part in our, the community that we live in. And help us to be the gardener who gets our hands dirty as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.